Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, July 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear from state commissioners on the move to settle with Mississippi Power on the still incomplete Kemper Energy Facility. Ole Miss is providing the context for its historical landmarks and monuments to foster understanding. Find out how. Our first inclination, in my mind, should always be to contextualize not to remove or replace something, even though it may be a very painful or difficult part of our history. Miss Mississippi is on her quest for the Miss America crown. And chefs Rob Stinson and Mark Koblenz share ways to make your food fit to eat. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Public Service Commission is negotiating a settlement for the power plant in Kemper County. The board officially started the clock on a 45-day period for Mississippi Power to determine how they will move forward with the multi-billion dollar energy facility. The commission wants the company to stop its so-called clean coal work and continue producing power using natural gas. It is also concerned with cost to ratepayers. Samuel Britton is the public service commissioner for the Southern District. He says the push for a resolution is timely. What this does is set up a process where we end up having a final settlement to this. And that's what we're doing today. And I think it's appropriate and timely that we do it now. And the whole objective is to have a final resolution to Kemper in all aspects of it. Because the Public Service Commission, we look and hope to see 45 days from now, all parties coming together with a settlement. And then from that time, we'll have 45 days for all other interested parties to come and intervene and make whatever comments they would like. But the objective of this is to find a final resolution to Kemper. It's just time. It's three years past the deadline or the estimated deadline, and it's just time to resolve Kemper. And that's what this process does. Brandon Presley is the public service commissioner for the Northern District. He says they're looking to see three main points addressed. We'll see what the settlement comes out to be. We set three very strong principles, one of them being no rate increase, uh, the second being that uh, the plant be relicensed as a natural gas facility, and thirdly, that uh, the technology related to the uh, coal gasifier not be uh, something that the rate payers of Mississippi Power are on the hook for, so that there will not be any rate increase on customers' bills as they stand today. And, of course, we said we want you to work and see if you can actually get a rate decrease if that's where uh, that is, in fact, possible. Generally, those three provisions, uh, the commission said very clearly, we feel like are, are those that we would encourage to be within the public interest. We've got 45 days to get it together. Get about getting that effectuated. Uh, this, it's not a compromise by the commission. It's a, I think it's speaking in strong regulatory terms of here's where we are saying we feel the public interest is and align your activities to that. I mean, you know, the company has a right to say uh, what they want to say in this case, issue the statements and, and, and put forth uh, what they feel is important. 
Uh, but we said we want to get a settlement within 45 days that does not raise customers' bills. That's, that's most important. I did not vote to license this plant, but that's not the issue that's before us today. The issue before us today is how do you resolve it? If there's not a settlement within 45 days, of course, the commission can move uh, to have the company show cause as to why we would not look at revoking the certificate for the plant for the portions of which are in rates. So, you know, they have every right afforded to them by law. To be clear, nothing in this settlement would say that they couldn't continue with their own capital and with their own dollars exploring the lignite gasification. They can do that. What, what we're dealing with today is what are the customers of Mississippi Power Company uh, responsible for paying for? I believe we're going to get a settlement. I believe we're going to be able to close the chapter on this case. The 45-day period will terminate in August. Coming up, Ole Miss is taking steps to honor the past while moving forward with its mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The University of Mississippi is moving ahead with plans to put its rich history into context. The school and campus are ripe with landmarks, monuments, dedicated buildings, and a very popular nickname. Rather than part with all of its Confederate or segregationist connections, the university says it wants to explain history. One exception is a building named after white supremacist Governor James Vardaman. Ole Miss will ask the institutions of higher learning for permission to rename the facility. Ole Miss Chancellor Jeffrey Vitter tells MPB's Ezra Wall how the process began. There was an action plan developed in 2014 uh, in response to uh, issues on campus of diversity. And uh, about a year ago, I put together a 14-member committee to identify physical sites on our campus that needed additional explanation to better explain their history, their meaning. Uh, the fundamental underlying principle to all of this effort is, a, is our belief that we have a duty to understand and learn from history, not erase it. The membership criteria for this committee resulted from uh, getting broad input from the Ole Miss community, and that input resulted in the criteria of uh, historians and other subject matter experts from our faculty primarily. I'd also included, uh, the committee included alumni and students who understood the culture of the institution as well as people with expertise in commemorating historical sites. And of course, we wanted everyone to be able to work collaboratively and following our, short, our core values of the institution. The committee's work was limited to physical sites, so we were not dealing with things like symbols or, or nicknames like Ole Miss or Rebels. We've already studied that question, and uh, those two names, Ole Miss and Rebels, are core to our, our identity and have a widespread national public positive brand, That and you know we will always be Ole Miss Rebels. So this particular committee focused on contextualization of sites, and they released their report last month, and I sent a letter to the community providing that report and also outlining what the university is going to do as next steps. So, and all of that's available online at www.context.olmiss.edu. 
Of the committee's various recommendations, what are some of the more noticeable recommendations that you've decided the university will accept and what kinds of changes that people might see in some of the buildings that they're familiar with? Well, I've accepted all of the recommendations along the lines of the charge to the committee. And so in particular, uh, we will contextualize seven sites with five plaques. Uh, They include plaques at Barnard Observatory, Long Street Hall, Lamar Hall, George Hall, and then a plaque that is meant to discuss the four antebellum buildings or structures at the university. We're also going to seek to rename Vardaman Hall through normal university processes, and that involves IHL approval. So that's not something that you can just unilaterally decide to do? No. no. Okay. And, uh, you know, at Vardaman Hall, uh, it's a very exceptional situation uh, because I mentioned our philosophy is all around contextualizing, not removing, not erasing. But here we had a rare exception that went beyond any kind of norm of the age. I really urge everyone to read the report to learn about Vardaman's legacy and also the very thoughtful process the committee went through in coming to this recommendation. So in the case of Vardaman Hall, we've already gotten approval by the IHL for a substantial renovation. And, you know, when you renovate, you often rename when it's all said and done. So when that's all done in a couple of years, we will go and seek IHL approval for a renaming of Vardaman Hall. Will it be another name of historical context, or will it be more in the in the modern traditional vein of acknowledging important uh, supporters of the university? I think we're going to try to kill both birds with one stone, and it is going to be a fundraising process, and the naming will recognize a significant donor or our person around whom donations are made. And uh, that person... Uh, the name will also convey an appropriate meaning along the lines of kind of a, a positive approach to history of the university and Mississippi. Did they make additional recommendations that fall outside of that charge that the university is not accepting? We're actually accepting two additional ones that came up during the deliberation. The first is to add a plaque to contextualize the Ventress stained glass windows that recognizes the university grace which was the battalion that suffered 100% casualties in the Civil War. And the second is to restore the headstones in the Confederate Cemetery on our campus that recognize the sacrifice of those buried there, and as well to place a marker in an appropriate place to recognize those from Lafayette County who served in the Civil War in the U.S. Colored Troops. So those we were putting forward for public comment for the rest of this month. The committee did make some additional recommendations that were for continued work that really are well beyond the scope of the committee, so we're not going forward with that. What's your answer to people who might just say that context isn't enough when you're talking about issues like slavery and segregation and things like that? Well, that's why the committee did a very, very cautious and considerate study of exactly that issue. They use, in fact, some principles developed at Yale University for exactly this purpose. And applying those principles, they determined that, for example, Vardaman Hall was a situation that called for renaming because of its exceptional nature of uh, Vardaman's life and in particular what he advocated throughout his career, whereas in other cases that was simply not the case. Uh, You know, 
our mission as a flagship university is fundamentally around learning, and we have an overarching responsibility to learn from history, not, not to erase it. Our first inclination, in my mind, should always be to contextualize, not to remove or replace something, even though it may be a, a very painful or difficult part of our history. And that's why, for example, we contextualize the Confederate statue on our circle, which I think is preferable to removing it, especially for an educational institution, a flagship institution, so that we can foster opportunities to learn from history. Dr. Vitter, thank you very much for, uh, for speaking with us today. Thanks for the time. Coming up, meet the new Miss Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Anne Elizabeth Buys is just beginning her reign as Miss Mississippi 2017. The 21-year-old Vicksburg native represented her hometown in the Miss Mississippi pageant this year after being first runner-up last year. The competition, celebrating its 60th year in Vicksburg, began with preliminaries where Buys took home the top spot in the swimsuit competition and tied for a talent preliminary win. Now at center stage, she has the opportunity to make her mark on the state and country. She tells us she's living a dream. It's been a dream of mine since I was a little girl. I've grown up going to the Miss Mississippi pageant. I was a junior dancer when I was seven. I was a princess for two years. I competed in the Miss Mississippi's Outstanding Teen pageant for four years and was Miss Mississippi's Outstanding Teen in 2013. And then um, you know, now having been a contestant and now Mississippi, it is just a true dream come true for me. But I've been able to embody every aspect of this organization, and it is truly a part of me. So the fact that I can represent this wonderful state that I call home and, um, you know, be able to represent Mississippi on a national level is just, it's truly amazing. How many times did you compete in the Miss Mississippi pageant? Two years, last year and this year. And you were first runner-up last year? Yes, I was. This year I was Miss Vicksburg. Miss Vicksburg, which of course is where the pageant is held. You're a student or you were a student at MSU? Yes, I was. Yes, ma'am. Are you done with college now? I will be taking a year off, but I'll lack one more year before completing my degree in communications. Communications, and I also see that you're focusing on broadcasting. This is right up your alley, isn't it? (laughs) It absolutely is. I definitely love this field, and I tell people all the time I don't feel like I am in school because I love those classes so much. This next year will be a whirlwind, I'm sure, of appearances. Can you give us an idea of what your schedule is like on a weekly basis? Well, the next few months, I will be preparing every single day for the Miss America competition, which will be in September. But after that, I will be traveling around. Um, You know, you speak to schools, different civic organizations, and it's really an appearance every single day, sometimes multiple in a day. So I'm just really looking forward to that. You say every day you'll be preparing for the Miss America pageant in September. How do you prepare? What would you be doing every day? The Miss Mississippi Corporation has a prep team that really um, can focus on a certain area of competition. So I will be having mock interviews. I will be training every day and working out. I will be working on my talent. 
and I will be getting um, a lot of my wardrobe together because you know, you're there for two weeks, so you have to have a lot of wardrobe. And um, just every aspect of competition I'll be preparing for every day. Also, lots of paperwork. Your talent is dancing on point. Is that ballet, or is it a combination of various styles of dance? Yes, it's classical ballet on point. What is the music that you dance to? I'm dancing to a song called Viva, and it's by a classical crossover strings quartet named Bond. And it is a very upbeat and lively song, has a very driven beat. And so I love being able to combine classical ballet with an upbeat song. Tell us about your platform, Water for Life. Absolutely. My platform is Water for Life. And about Eight years ago, my family and I sponsored a water well in a remote village in India. And after we received pictures of the well dedication ceremony, I was so shocked to see the faces of these children and villagers who were touching clean water for the very first time. And as a 13-year-old, that was just so foreign to me because here in America, we have so much. And we don't, we don't think about that some people really don't have clean water and I knew that I had to address the issue that 11% of the world's population didn't have access to clean drinking water. This results in over 4,500 children dying each day due to lack of sanitation of water. So I've been partnering with Operation Blessing International and funding clean water wells overseas. And also I aid with water problems here in America, too, as Flint, Michigan faced their water crisis last year and you know, Jackson faced a very similar one. And just a few weeks ago, when Vicksburg, my hometown, faced a water crisis, I was able to distribute water to those who did not have access to it. And Elizabeth, what do you think pageant life has done for you to prepare you for life or to enhance or influence your life? It has absolutely allowed me to become a more well-rounded person. Through every aspect of preparing for this competition, it has prepared me for life, whether it's living a healthy lifestyle developing my talents, staying informed so that I can be prepared for interview. Every part of it's prepared me for life. I'm fully confident that I can walk into any job interview with grace and confidence and know that I know who I am and I know you know my qualifications and why I will be good for that job. And I'm so thankful that God's given me these opportunities. And Elizabeth Byes is Miss Mississippi, and she'll go on to compete in September for the title of Miss America. We wish you the best of luck, and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Byes will be competing in the 97th Miss America pageant that's set to air on September 10th. Coming up, two chefs talk, talk fit food. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. President Abraham Lincoln knew that to conquer the South, the Union had to control the Mississippi River. He called the port city of Vicksburg the key to this strategy, saying the war can never be brought to a close until that key is in our pocket. In May of 1863, Union forces crossed the Mississippi River from Louisiana at Grand Gulf. Marching north, they engaged Confederate forces at Port Gibson, Raymond, Jackson, Champion Hill, and along the Big Black River. The Confederates fell back to Vicksburg and prepared for the assault. General U.S. Grant attacked, but soon realized he could not take the city by force. Instead, he would lay siege. After six weeks of bombardment and with food and ammunition running low, the Confederates finally surrendered the city on July 4th. President Lincoln at last held the key. This has been Mississippi, a thread through time. 
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Get ready for recipes that start with healthy ingredients, encourage wholesome preparation, and end with a tasty feast. Mississippians are known for the rich food culture that often includes deep-fried flavor. And while summer months serve up char-grilled fare, sometimes the results get smothered in sauce. Chef Rob Stinson from Biloxi is host of MPB's Fit to Eat. Chef Mark Koblenz from Starkville has been a contestant on Master Chef Junior and Chopped Junior. The two tell MPB's Ezra Wall about their upcoming menu on MPB's Fit to Eat and their favorite healthy foods. You know, what's exciting is to hear the response that we're having in season six. You know, there was a lot of apprehension maybe when I started this six years ago, if there would even be a demand to listen or hear or see this type of food. But I'm thrilled that it's gotten such a great response. And Dr. Rick DeShazo and Walt Grayson, and we're, we're all going to team together now to make it kind of a, a mass approach and try to hopefully get people in Mississippi thinking about eating healthier. It's a matter of experiencing it, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people look at, at food that is not prepared the way they're used to, yep. and they go, I don't I don't like it. Instead <laughs> you know, of saying, I've yep. never tried it. Mm-hmm. You, you, I was one of those as a kid. Were you? Were yeah. you? <laughs> and, a, a little and bit. And so are mine. So are my children. You know, and, and actually, I'll give an example. In Salute, our Italian restaurant in Gulfport, it's amazing, but half of our menu now is healthy. At the Reef in Biloxi, there's a huge focus on eating healthier. So I see it everywhere I go. There's a much stronger demand, if you would, for people trying to find healthy food. Mark, you talked about my comment about people saying, you know, I've ne- I don't like that mm-hmm. instead of just I've mm-hmm. never tried that. What was something that you that you like <laughs> now that you had to learn to like or that you had to try for the first time and were scared of? Probably Brussels sprouts. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I hated them as a kid. I so love I. them now. So did I. Oh, but yeah. now I, I roast them with a little Tony's, you know, mm-hmm. t- the Cajun oh, stuff. Yeah. Tony, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we never had them. I was like, I had no inclination of trying them to <laughs> actually, it's not exactly healthy, but we've gotten better at it. My mom got the frozen um, with a little bit of butter sauce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was so unhealthy, but it was so good. Let, let me tell you, can I interrupt him? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I absolutely hated them because my mother used to boil them and they stunk like oh. nasty cabbage. Yeah. yeah. I cut them in half and I pan sear them with garlic mm-hmm. and onion and pepper mm-hmm. and a little spice, a mm-hmm. little cayenne pepper. They're incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I would eat them every day now. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not just saying that. Look, the way I looked at it, I would give our dog, when I was a kid, the food I didn't want to eat, the dog wouldn't even eat the Brussels sprouts. The dog wouldn't even eat Brussels sprouts. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And dogs eat anything. <laughs> but honestly, no, I, I think that if veggies are cooked properly, and mm-hmm. Mark and I talked about this, if they're cooked properly and they're not overcooked, they're delicious. Yeah, I agree 100%. So you're a vegetable guy. I am now. Uh, one of my favorite veggies is um, roasted broccoli, a little salt, a little pepper, oil. Just throw them in a 450-degree oven for like 30 minutes. Come out perfectly. And it, I mean, it's a little black, it's a little crispy, it's a little burnt, and it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, he and, I, that he good. and I have this similar taste. Mm-hmm. He uh-huh. likes the crispy, burned mm-hmm. edges oh, yeah. yes. mm-hmm. on veggies, and uh-huh. so do I. Uh-huh. It's the best I love part. it. It's great. Uh-huh. It's great. 
What's your favorite dish so far of the new season? Probably a dish I did with Dr. Rick DeShazo, which was an Asian grilled grouper with a asparagus crawfish mm. Asian rice. That sounds and so it good. It was so good. Well, it's spicy. It it's, sounds amazing. It's nine o'clock in the morning, and people are thinking about dinner already. <laughs> Chef Rob Simpson is, I love it, though. is the host of uh, Fit to Eat on MPB TV, and Mark Koblenz is what well, was recently a contestant on Master Chef Junior. Has been on Chopped Junior, and is a Mississippian uh, junior high student and, at Starkville. And the best chef I've ever cooked with on TV, and a chef par excellence, according to Chef Rob himself. Guys, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks Absolutely. for having me. Stay tuned to MPB, or excuse me, you can catch Chef Rob and Chef Mark on Fit to Eat tomorrow at 1.30 in the afternoon or on Sunday at 10 a.m. on MPB TV. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. At 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning for the next Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at Woodward Hines.